It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and a huge welcome to this week's episode of Gina Gardner and Friends. I'm joined today by Denzel McGowan. He's a professional musician. He's a saxophonist. It's hard to say, you need to put my teeth in. He's also the author of spiritual books. And we're going to be talking today about communication with awareness. Now, he's also created a board game that helps people be consciously aware. I'm going to talk about all of those things during today's show. So then, real welcome to you. Thank you very much, for Wenzel, for joining me. Thank you, Gina, so much for having me. Excited to be on the show. So how did you come to do what you do? Talk, let's talk about the music for a moment. A professional musician. Have you always been a professional museum, musician? Um, I, I started music when I was 10 years old when my grandfather died and I inherited his saxophone. Oh, okay. And, and I realized quickly that it was an avenue to express my emotions without having to explain myself. And I think especially as a young teenager, you know, when I turned 13, I started having heartbreaks and like no one to talk to about these feelings. But I felt like the saxophone would just let those feelings out. And so it became an avenue for me to communicate myself um, through music. And it always been like my closest companion for my whole life. And the saxophone is a, a such an evocative uh, instrument, isn't it? The sound it makes is, yeah, it, is so emotional, isn't it? There are other um, other instruments which perhaps don't have that same capacity um, to be so sad or so intense or so happy. Yeah, and it's very similar to vocal cords, you know, because it's it's, it's literally a reed vibrating, and you know, when we're making a sound with our voice, that's also chords vibrating. I mean, that's a little bit different than a reed, but something vibrating, especially like a reed that you can bend it, you can bend the pitch down and up just like the vocals. Yeah. And so I feel like it has a very um, vocal quality to it. 
I think you're right. But I would say if you're listening to this, you don't have to be a professional musician to be able to use music to help evoke emotions and to manage your emotions. And I know many people who, when they're sad, will listen to something that's uplifting or yeah. if they want to just stay with that emotion, uh, that they use the music to help them process the emotion and come Absolutely. out. Absolutely. I remember in one of my relationships, um, there was this one song that would solve our arguments. You know, when we when we had no way of communicating and finding common ground, uh, we just put on that song and suddenly we both see each other's sides. Can you share which song it is? Because I'm sure there are many people out there, if they could only find a song, and it would need to be theirs, but perhaps if you shared yours, that would give them some idea of how it might work. Yeah, sure. I, I can send it to you later. Um, I actually forgot the musician's name. This song is by, she always put that song on. Can you remember the, the name of it? He's, he, um, oh yeah, it's Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. Yeah, that's right. Elliot Smith. And it's, it's really sad. I mean, he committed suicide, so he really went into like the depths of sadness and <laughs> and his songs kind of have like that quality of like existential feelings yes and uh, i mean much is talked about mental health isn't it and i think people are frightened of certain emotions they see them as negative whereas for me i see them as an opportunity to learn about ourselves or the world that they're giving us a message and it's usually that something needs to be dealt with uh, mm -hmm. and that yeah. you know when you're able to sit with that emotion rather than bury it it becomes more manageable. Absolutely. I think I think we're born into a culture where we are taught that emotions are bad. Yeah. Or that like, you know, it's like so common that like you see some parent in an airport screaming at the kid, stop crying, you know, what's wrong, you know? And like, as if like emotions don't have any validity or yeah. space. And yeah. So I think a lot of us actually inherit this like trauma of having our emotions invalidated. I think that's so true. And, you know, we, we live at a time when mental ill health is much talked about. Yeah. But I think if we are able to acknowledge our emotions and then find a way that helps us almost put them into context or put them, make them manageable. Mm -hmm. And I think music is an incredible vehicle to do just that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because I think there's also this dichotomy between the intellect and emotion, where emotion has meaning beyond the intellect. Yes. I and then the intellect is, okay, what is this emotion? What does it mean? Is there tangible actions I can do? That, that's the intellect approach to emotion. While emotion sometimes doesn't want any actions, but it's, it's just a force of nature, you know, and I think music meets emotions on that level yeah. where you don't have to define the meaning of music and you don't have to define the meaning of emotion. Both can be significant in the experience, but don't have to be tethered to rational knowledge. I think that's such a powerful way of looking at it. And I think many people who struggle to manage their emotions or to define what the emotions are doing for them, um, that mm -hmm. seeing them in that way is hugely beneficial. We're going to go for a short break, but when we come back, 
I know that you are the author of, of spiritual books, and I'd like to explore that that spirituality and how what moved you to write them and, and um, what they're about, really. So please don't go away. Um, we'll be back in just a minute. Hello there. This is Gina Gardner. I'm the host of the show, Gina Gardner and Friends. I'm so excited to share with you that my books will be on sale at the nation's largest literary event, the Los Angeles Time Festival of Books. It's going to be a fabulous event. The festival takes place on April the 22nd and 23rd at the University of Southern California, which is in Los Angeles, California. You'll find a feast of literature, pop culture, readings and musical performances, and just so much more waiting for you to enjoy. My books will be featured on Dr. Leica's booth, which is booth number 966. Dr. Leica's booth 966. Please don't miss it. Come and visit and say hello and take a look at a selection of my books, including the number one international best-selling book, Driving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. I hope you're able to come and visit by now. Uh, Miss Stevens, I just wiped malware off our system. Uh, people have got to stop clicking unsolicited email links and downloading free software unless it's from a trusted source. Sounds great. We need a data backup plan in a separate location in case we get hacked. We need to focus on making profits, not spending them. Learn to protect yourself from ransomware. If you become a victim, contact your local FBI office. So welcome back. Denzel McGowan and I are, are talking about the spirituality of music, really, and um, that he's written a number of uh, books, spiritual books. Give us um, some idea of the sort of books that you've written and what made you write them. So I had a spiritual awakening experience doing a meditation retreat, and I know that sounds very cliche, but for me, it was more like a complete shattering of what I thought is possible and what I thought is is life and what I thought is reality. And I went into the meditation retreat with a rather skeptical mindset. I was like raised many very, people were listening to this, I should think. I was I was raised very as an atheist and I was very science oriented. And yes. to me, meditation had meaning because scientific studies showed that it reduced cortisol levels, that it also helped with the communication with the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. And so there was some legit scientific studies that showed that, that meditation can actually deal with anxiety and stress. Yeah. And living as a musician in New York City was hugely stressful. And so I just went there with that intention to just kind of, you know, better my mental health. However, I didn't really realize that meditation came out of a giant mystical tradition yes. and that that mystical tradition is still alive within the method itself, even if you don't believe in anything, because mysticism, the word actually comes from a Latin word, which means close your eyes and close your mouth. Yes. The mystic. And, and I think what that really means is look within yes don't speak about it don't think about it and don't look out of yourself but go and see this those truth for yourself and when you quiet your mind when you when you learn to not think about anything and just pay attention to sensations in your body you start to experience your consciousness itself 
and that consciousness itself without its identification with the mind with the thoughts with the emotions with the to-do lists and the anxieties and desires without all of that it is already the mystical dimension yeah and so i went directly into that and suddenly just found myself new like i was like a newborn suddenly like looking at the world for the first place with this ecstatic feeling of cosmic unity and it was unbelievable but it was also so intense that going back to my normal life was challenging everything i believed was suddenly no longer what i thought it was so what did you do with that i mean you've gone on a retreat for a few days presumably you've come back to the real world and having had that experience i suppose for many people there it would be too challenging and they're just leave it behind and go back to their normal habitual way of being right yeah for me it was i guess i'm kind of a person who always like wants to find things for myself like when someone tells me something is true then i will sort of experiment and see if it really is true okay i i don't know why it's like i had it as a kid too you know and i would literally also hurt myself because my mom would be like don't do that and i'd be like well, let me see. You know, she would always tell me, don't eat the soap when I was three years old. I was trying to eat the soap. Okay. And I, and I was like, well, I don't know. I haven't tried the soap yet. So, so <laughs> I bit into the soap and started crying. And, and that kind of quality with me forever. And so when I experienced the mystical dimension firsthand, I was like, okay, life is much more than I thought it was. And there was this pull, like, of wanting to become that. Yes. And it was such a heartbreaking, intense desire to grow out of my shell that I really almost couldn't think about anything else for the next couple of years. Okay. Where I was literally, I was reading books. I was like, have other people experienced this? Um, like, what does science say about consciousness? Does anyone know what consciousness is? And I found out that no one knows. Like scientists have no idea what consciousness is. It's considered the hard problem in neuroscience because, you know, the human organism could function like a machine, but why would there be a a self-aware entity within that machine experiencing an, an internal reality if it's all just processes happening on the electrical and neurological level? Like, why is there consciousness? So we don't know that. And then I interviewed fringe scientists that are kind of outside of the mainstream that, that have different theories. And that's basically the, what created my books was my curiosity in finding this out and like interviewing scientists and exploring the mystical dimension with extreme curiosity and skepticism. But at the same time with having had a firsthand experience that I couldn't invalidate. So let our listeners know, what are your books called? My first book is called The End of Fear by Wenzel McGowan, W-E-N-Z-L-M-C-G-O-W-E-N, and The End of Fear. And the other one is The Sequence of Latent Truths. That one is about, the first one is a novel about a homeless man having a mystical experience and checking himself into a mental hospital because he thinks he's going crazy. And then sort of he like wrestles with that in between where his spiritual awakening is so intense and so life shattering and it brings out so much of his conditioning or so much of his trauma, so much of his fear that he almost does lose his mind. But at the same time, 
he then really trusts into the mystical dimension and grows into a new person. Okay. And so the other one is a research book, The Sequence of Latent Truth, which just explores scientific theories to make sense of awakening experiences. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because my view is that we each have a different experience in terms of awakening to something bigger than ourselves, something mm -hmm. that yeah. um, that has the capacity to expand um, our thinking beyond that of logical thought and an experience right. which for me is very heartfelt is mm -hmm. a sense of uh, be becoming the best version of myself and that mm -hmm. best version is the foundation for the next best and the next best right. um, that sense of connection to nature and to other people and so on but i work with number of people who are on their journey from their initial awareness in terms of, well, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. Now I have started to be aware. And, you know, this conversation we said was going to be around, you know, communication with awareness. What do you mm -hmm. see as the difference between communicating when you are not aware and communicating when you have become aware? It's a really good question. I think that one level communicates from the direct experience, which is not aware. Like, for example, I feel angry and I don't notice that I feel angry, but instead I start yelling at the other person. Okay. So now I'm communicating with the direct experience. Second level would be, I notice I'm angry. And so I tell the other person, I'm angry. I don't want to say things right now that will hurt and damage our relationship. So gave me a few moments to calm myself down. Okay. And, and so I think that that is really what it means to bring in awareness into communication. It's like you notice what you're experiencing and then you manage to communicate that with the other person. And I think there's many ways to do this. I mean, there's nonviolent communication, which is a really cool one. Could you repeat that again? Nonviolent communication. Okay. Have, you, have yeah. you heard about that? There's a technique where basically you're breaking down your experience into three levels. Okay. So if let's say you're having an issue with someone and this is, it takes a lot of awareness and also it takes more time than just, you know, saying what you feel in the moment. But it is a very good way to dissect emotions, especially if they're intense. And like, let's say someone disappointed you, and then you first say what exactly happened in the most objective way you can describe it. Yeah. Without any emotion in it, and without any blame. Then your personal experience, what happened within yourself as you observed that happening, or yes. how, the, how that felt. And then the third one needs and wishes like what how do i how do i want us to communicate or deal with the situation in the future so i, I think that that kind of method is, is pretty helpful i think it's really powerful it's interesting because some of the research that that i've read talks about 95 percent of people 95 percent of the time are thinking habitually it doesn't mm -hmm. cross their conscious mind at all 
And yeah. so they they go into patterns of behavior which mm-hmm. are in themselves habitual, patterns of emotions, patterns of behavior, patterns of language. And so somebody says something which um, makes them angry, and very often it's not what's said, but the tone of voice and how it's yeah, said that right. triggers people. And then okay. they're trig- triggered into their habitual pattern of behaving. So mm-hmm. they snarl back because they've, they've been triggered into being a teenager listening to a critical parent or teacher. Um, and that person is also thinking habitually. So they then respond in their habitual pattern of doing so. And before you know where, there's a full bone row and nobody's quite sure how they got there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, this conscious awareness is about taking radical responsibility for your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, and your words. And those who've listened to the show have heard me banging on about this um, a lot because when you do take responsibility for being conscious in your thinking then it takes you out of being a victim and being so reactive that you don't feel as if you have a choice Mm -hmm. to being proactive and having the choice in terms of how you respond exactly yeah that's a really good point that get it we have to get to a level of consciousness where we have a choice yes because if we just ruled by patterns there's no choosing involved. No, it, it's it just the past, past perpetuating itself. We've got to go for a, a short break. We'll carry on this conversation because I think it's one of the most powerful um, outcomes of becoming aware. And if everybody operated from that place, my goodness, wouldn't life be different? So don't go away. We'll be back in a moment. Hello there. This is Gina Gardner. I'm the host of the show, Gina Gardner and Friends. I'm so excited to share with you that my books will be on sale at the nation's largest literary event, the Los Angeles Time Festival of Books. It's going to be a fabulous event. The festival takes place on April the 22nd and 23rd at the University of Southern California, which is in Los Angeles, California. You'll find a feast of literature, pop culture, readings and musical performances, and just so much more waiting for you to enjoy. My books will be featured on Dr. Leica's booth, which is booth number 966. Dr. Leica's booth 966. Please don't miss it. Come and visit and say hello and take a look at a selection of my books, including the number one international best-selling book, Thriving Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. I hope you're able to come and visit by now. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. So just before the break, welcome back, everybody. I'm talking to Wenzel McGowan, and we're talking about um, consciousness, uh, conscious communication. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. So talk us through what you were going to say. I was going to say that I think the first step is becoming conscious, because how are you going to communicate consciously if you're not conscious? And I think that that is an internal process. Of, of becoming the observer. And that simply means putting more attention onto the aspect of ourselves, yes. which is capable of experiencing 
our internal world. And so, for example, like if we're thinking right now about all the bills we have to pay, yeah. where, where is our consciousness? It's within the thoughts, right? We're not even aware that we're thinking about the bills we have to pay. But now we can snap out of that and be like, oh, I was just thinking about that. And then focus for one second, what is my next thought going to be? And maybe you're just going to sit there with an empty mind for a moment, and then a thought pops in. And then, you know, there might be a moment where you're noticing you're starting to think about this thought, and then maybe you'll lose yourself fully in that thought. And then a few minutes later, you, you're going to be like, oh, I was just going to look what my next thought was going to be, and it was going to be that one. And I was in that thought for maybe five minutes, or who knows how long. So I think that is really what meditation is, is you sit down or you, st- you can also lie down or stand, but it's just an internal awareness where you're watching your internal world. And when you get angry or when you get triggered, that internal world is now going to be blown by a hurricane. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer just little waves of thoughts ebbing and flowing. It's going to be a tsunami. It's going to be absolute chaos. And so you need so much consciousness in order to, to stand there and be like, I feel, I feel the pull of the anger. I feel like all these thoughts of why this other person should be punished and why my rage deserves to be dumped on this person. And I feel the pull of this and I'm, it's almost impossible not to go into it. And myself, I, I sometimes with my bandmate, we still lose ourselves in anger and we, and we like blind, get blindsided. But then, you know, we do say like one of us, Hey, we're losing ourselves in anger. We need to take a moment. Yeah. And then we breathe through it and then we see each other's sides. The thing about anger is that it triggers the fight or flight response, which restricts the blood flow to your prefrontal cortex which is literally the seat of your intelligence. It's so, interesting, isn't it, that how many... And anger's often the one that's talked about because people are frightened of anger. Right. And it's. I would suggest it's not the emotion of anger that we need to be so wary of, but that what we do with it. So why are we angry? Is it mm-hmm. angry in this moment, or is this has this tri- triggered something so it's a build-up of anger... Uh, over anger, over anger. So it's actually blown out of proportion. What mm-hmm. story are we making up about? Yeah. It? Because how we interpret the situation is going to color how we respond to it. And one of the techniques that I teach my clients is be- to become the journalist of their own lives. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if you were going to be the journalist following a celebrity or, or a royal, you would really focus on you know, how do they behave? How do they dress? How do they eat? What do they do? When do they do it? And if you do that as an internal exercise in terms of how are you showing up? What's really going on emotionally, Mm. physically, um, intellectually? And what stories am I making up? And are they real? Or are they my perception? But they could actually have a completely different Uh, meaning than the one I'm giving them. Mm -hmm. And the more you get to know yourself, the better able, I think, you are able to then determine how am I going to manage this particular situation? Mm -hmm. I love the metaphor of the journalist, because if if you say the observer, the attitude is is somewhat neutral. Yes. Um, But the journalist also has curiosity. Yes. 
and the journalist wants to be objective the journalist has no agenda of like distorting reality i mean hopefully if it's not like a paid magazine you know a, a, a good journalist a good and free journalist right no definitely not yeah, the yeah don't don't be a corrupt journalist <laughs> of your internal world with your own agenda no yeah no it's a good and, one um, we're um, pretty well out of time, I'm afraid. So where can people find you and where can they find your books? WenzelMcGowan.org. So that's W-E-N-Z-L-M-C-G-O-W-E-N.org. And your books? Yeah, you can find my books there. You can find my board game there. You can also get my books directly on Amazon but there's also links on my website and also i have meditation music there on my website and some guided meditations it just remains for me to say thank you very much for being on the show it's been great and to say to you um if you'd like to um speak to me i'd love to know what your stories are and whether or not your stories would be suitable for the radio show but also to know what's going on in your lives and what you think of the show. So please do contact me at Gina, G-I-N-A, at Gina Gardiner, G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R, and friends, um, and let us know. You'll find all of my books on Amazon, and you'll find um, lots and lots of resources on the website, genuinely-new.com. So thank you very much, um, Wenzel, being a brilliant guest, um, and thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.